Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's March 1st, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, I, you know, I'm so glad I don't have a Twitter account. Me too. Is it, I, I, I've been waiting to say that. I, I, I keep holding on to this love I have for Twitter and not sharing it with the Antioch Nation. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm glad the company has one for official things, but I, I don't ever want to have another social media platform to argue with people. I mean, it's bad enough what I go through on Facebook, which I held off joining for so long. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I have a Pinterest now because I like to look at photos of things, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't argue with people on Pinterest. There's no chance to do that, so that's good. Uh, but this other stuff, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm out of this muck, man. I, I don't want anything to do with this stuff. I really don't. <laughs> uh, so what we're talking about is Aaron Massey has replaced Daniel Negreanu as, and this is my word, quote, this week's poker Twitter storm creator. <laughs> uh, when he tweeted to the World Series of Poker to train its staff to not say congratulations when a player busts in the money. Massey's tweet said that whether the player cashed for a loss or just had his heart broken, that congratulating them will always be, quote, annoying as fudge. Only he didn't say fudge, Chris. <laughs> uh, while at least one player came to Massey's defense, many more were critical of the tweet, saying a pro should have thicker skin than that. Or, as Alan Cunningham tweeted, Massey sounds like a, quote, entitled snowflake. I knew that would get you interested. <laughs> well, and you missed the beginning part of it. You, don't, you couldn't put that in the show either. <laughs> there was a there was an adjective that described what type of entitled yeah, snowflake true, he was. True. But yeah. Uh, yeah, show. yeah, hats <laughs> off to Alan Cunningham. That was a great tweet too. Um, gee, Scott, really, I I have to fall on that side of the fence. I mean, seriously, if, and I think that was what some people were saying. Were like, hey, if you can't handle some random you know, intern or person dealing cards for, you know, one summer out there saying, hey, congrats. And, <laughs> I mean, what what hope do you have of, you know, I mean, Aaron Massey obviously is a fantastic player. He wins circuit events and Heartland Poker Tour and everything he pretty much plays, he wins. So it's kind of hard to say to him, you know, hey, what hope do you have if you can't even, but seriously, this guy's faced much bigger challenges in his life than someone patting him on the back or congratulating him for cashing in a tournament. Yeah, I think there, there are a couple issues here. I think um, one, I think, was how Massey did this. His tweet sounded just terrible, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's that part of it. And then, yeah, we could talk about whether, like, all these other people said that a pro needs, you know, if you're staring down somebody for a $4 million pot... <laughs> They try to get in their soul. You could be should be able to handle someone telling you congratulations. So there's that issue too. 
Um, to where I would agree with with Massey though, and I just I hated his way he did it, is that I, I do agree that congratulations is the wrong thing to say. I think it should be thanks for playing or something like that. Right. Um, and that's a very easy suggestion to make if you made it professionally. If he said that, he's like, you know, hey guys, I know staff is just trying to be nice, but you know, sometimes congratulations is not the right word to say to someone that got busted because they might have actually cashed for a loss or or what all this stuff. Can we come, can we come up with something that that doesn't that's better, right? Right. If you do that, then the, I think the discussion would have been completely different. I could be wrong, but I, that's, I don't know, that's just the way I do things. I, I don't like to throw F-bombs and make people, like, really upset <laughs> when I try to get them to do something. So <laughs> so there is that. Um, I, and I think to the entitled Snowflake comment, um, I think there is some of that. I think this is the bubble that people get in. And not just poker players, but politicians, when we're at the newspaper, I mean, there wasn't a bubble, right? You forget what the world is outside of that. So to Aaron Massey, when he gets knocked out and maybe it's his second bullet and he cashed for a loss, the person that's saying congratulations and paying him out his $100,000 or $50,000 or whatever it is, that's a huge deal to them, right? Right. Yeah, or at least I would assume it is. I mean, those are not people that handle $50,000 in their daily life uh, for their own use, right? Right. So to them, that would be congratulations. I'm like, wow, this guy just won $50,000. I've never won $50,000 anything in my life. So the fact that you can't empathize with that, um, I, I think, is a problem. And I don't know if that's that goes to a soul of a person problem or if it's just that bubble problem I'm talking about where you just need to step out for a minute and go, wait, hold on. All right. I, I, I shouldn't be as critical with this person because they, they aren't in the same stratosphere of this conversation as I am, right? Right. So, I don't know. So, there's plenty to talk about there. Um, I will not do any of it on Twitter, though. Promise you that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're absolutely right. There has got to be another way to say it to the WSOP staff or owners or whatever you want to say. That, that, to say, hey, you know that moment when you go to cash out and you realize you've just got paid less than what you paid to get into the tournament and they tell you congratulations you'd really like to hear something like uh you know hope hope you hope you do better next time or or you know or something i wouldn't you know. say that i mean that's probably even worse but yeah well i, I mean you know think, i don't know whatever he whatever he would like to hear you know right, but yeah. he can still put it in a much more subtle or at least least combative way of doing it and it, it just and he's and he's and alan cunningham's right when he says you sound like an entitled snowflake because it does sound like you're in this bubble and you're whining rather than, hey, you know what really burns my toast is when I hear that, maybe they could think of a better word, you know, and, and instead, you know, it's just, or a better something or not say anything at all, you know, let them get knocked out of the tournament, you know. I don't know. Thanks for playing sounds kind of sarcastic too when you when you lose a one-outer on the river for your, you know, your dream, but well, I don't know. All right. I, I would have a lot of problem with someone that thinks thanks for playing is an inappropriate thing to say. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, in I that mean, moment, anybody can be pissed off no matter what they hear because they're pissed off. You're a company, and <clears throat> this player just supported your company. I think it's entirely appropriate to thank them for supporting the event. Now, oh, no, I know. I'm saying, I'm to me, it's fine. The entitled snowflake it's thing, to them. But, you know, it's not me. It's the person who's now steaming at the moment that they got called by a guy with king seven offsuit 
and the guy Rivers a one out or on the you know what I mean to knock you out of your dream tournament. And well, the last yeah, thing I, I hear is anything from anyone. Secondary level <clears throat> training to and, and folks that have been handling cash outs for twenty years probably have a better sense of judging. Hey, this is somebody that I should engage in a conversation with, right. and this is somebody I should just quietly give them the money and let them <laughs> do their thing, right? You know, I think it could be different for me knocking being knocked out than an, obviously an Aaron Massey being knocked out. So, and is it the is it he's upset about the cashier saying congratulations, or is he upset at the the dealer yeah, saying I, that? That was my understanding. Okay, but I, yeah. he said staff, so I guess it could be anybody. I guess right. it could be dealer. It could be the floor. It could be anybody. Yeah, I guess. I mean, because if it's a dealer, then it's like right in that moment, the dealer would know. You know, hey, this guy just lost a one out, or don't say anything. You know, just true. let him go. That's, but um, but again, to your point too, that there has to be a better way. I think the better way is always not on Twitter. I mean, yeah, and yeah. I yeah, I keep hating on Twitter, but it, this really does burn my toes. The fact that, and we've talked about this a thousand times, that people don't know how to ask for the manager anymore. They have to put everything that burns their toast has to immediately go on Twitter, on Twitter. or Facebook or yeah. Yelp or wherever else. And it just creates this hateful society that we're in now, where everybody's just angry all the time about every stupid damn thing and can't deal with it like an adult. Yeah. And an adult asks for the manager when there's a hair in the soup and then takes care of it that way. Here, I mean, you could talk to somebody, you could talk to a floor there, or, or I mean, he's a, he's a well enough known pro that he probably can get an audience with anybody at the World Series Yeah. to have a conversation with or send an email or do it, or do it offline. Um, and and hopefully get get what he wants accomplished much better than this. Um, but that's just the society we're in now. People just are so damn angry about every damn thing, and don't know how to handle it like adults. So, and you know, it reminds me of when we first started the magazine, the time when we had published that letter in the first issue, and we talked about how the letter had said that if you played in the no one hundred dollar buy in cash game. With a five ten blinds, you're a donkey, and so we wrote that. We read, read that, ran that letter because we wanted to have like every aspect of a magazine in the first issue. We wanted to have a letters to the editor, and we put it in there. And then, like literally four or five of the biggest poker rooms around the state were like, "Hey, we're not going to put your magazine because you called our players donks." And I'm like, "Well, we didn't call you anybody donks. It was a letter to the editor." And they're like, "Well, sorry, but you put it in your magazine." And I'm like, "Oh, now until we're up against now for the rest of our lives." Um. And so when that happened, I was so mad at the guy because the guy was mad at one of the guys that I wrote this huge letter back to him. And you were like, wait, 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 hold on. Don't send it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you're like, you know the old thing where they tell you it's therapy, write the letter, and then throw it away, and you'll feel better? And it really did. It made me feel a little better. We had, we ended up becoming really good friends with that poker manager after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I could have damaged that friendship forever had I sent it. Instead, the guy ended up buying a bunch of ads from us for years, and then he left. But um, and we kept friends with him. He ended up hanging out with me in Vegas. So. But imagine that, yeah, Twitter was a thing back then, right? Yeah. So, and that's the thing; it's so instant, and yeah, you can delete it, and but it's still out there, right? Yeah. As this representative this week found out. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, it's just it's you know, it's so fast now. No one slows down to think anything. No one wants to do things the proper way anymore. And you know. Hey, call me an old fuddy-duddy if you want for saying that, but that's just what I believe. So. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm in Camp Long on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the uh, Ari in Las Vegas has removed a plaque referring to its high limit room as Ivy's Room after eight years. The casino made no official statement on why the name of the poker pro embroiled in a Baccarat scandal is no longer associated with its high limit room. 
but director of poker Sean McCormick tweeted, and this is a positive tweet, <laughs> uh, that the reason uh, the room is now called simply Table 1 is because players had become accustomed to calling the room and asking what was being dealt on Table 1, and uh, he thought that was just kind of unique. That's a nice diplomatic way of saying it, you know? I mean, it, it makes sense, too, that eventually you had to deal with that situation, that's a good way of doing it. You know, I'm sure they're not happy with Ivy's name being thrown around with all this negative stuff and then being associated with that, right? So, yeah, well, you know, I think, and there, there, the the discussion, I mean, whether it's true or not, was that there's no financial relationship between the two anymore. So at that point, you know, you put Ivy's name on it to get people there, right? And yeah. now it's not a name that's as valuable as it was eight years ago. So it makes sense to take it off. Uh, it'd be different if there was a financial thing and they had to negotiate it an exit, which maybe they did, it's just private, but it doesn't sound that way, right? Right. Um, but I think the other argument, too, is that this is uh, one of the things that we struggle with in the poker community. I don't see how many people I can piss off <laughs> after the Twitter <laughs> thing, but, um, you know, when you put a po- poker pro's name on your room, you run a risk, I think, right? I mean, look at all the poker pros that have been hot stuff at one point and then crashed and burned two years later, three years later, four years later and had some problem. And I mean, that's just the nature of being a poker pro now is that volatile that it just churns people um, and their lives. And number one reason I never want to be a poker pro is that cause I don't want that roller coaster of a ride. I mean, running our business is enough of a roller coaster for me right now. Yeah. Um, so when you put that name on there, yeah, I mean, it, it was a big deal at the time because everybody in the world loved Phil Ivey years ago, and but you can't count on everybody loving Phil Ivey for the rest of his life, and that's what we found out now. So um, I don't think anybody's ever going to have a problem with it, uh, Table 1. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Table 1. Never <laughs> win there. Table 1, you already did it at the Borgata. <laughs> <laughs> the real shocking thing here is that you know how to pronounce Baccarat, but not Aju. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just remarkable to me. You know, not to say the T there, but but you don't know how to say au jus. I, I have only so many words that I can <laughs> properly pronunciate, so I have to pick and choose with discretion. Oh, man. Next item. <laughs> all right. A Taste of Country recently posted a fun three minute video giving us all a little insight into the nosebleed stakes poker game hosted by Willie Nelson and frequent, frequent lid. By not only country music musicians, but also actors Luke and Owen Wilson, Matthew McConaughey, and Woody Harrelson, who was rumored to be stuck 40000 bucks one night and not allowed to leave until he came up with the joke, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Willie's duet uh, with Waylon Jennings' good-hearted woman was finished during one of these poker games, and Jack Johnson got his clock clean so bad one night that he wrote the song, Willie Got Me Stoned, about his losing session. Uh, you called them country music musicians. I love that. Aren't they just country musicians? <laughs> <laughs> It's like journal journalists. <laughs> I think it's Willie got me stoned, and then the rest of the name of it is, and he took all my money or something, or he, yes, right, yes, something yes. like that. Stole. Um, uh, I often I, wonder uh, about games like this. Like just a few weeks ago, we talked about Betty White's game, and now Willie's. It's like, do you think like Willie and Betty actually have a penchant for poker, or is this just yeah, no, one of those typical like, clueless games that the media just likes to jump on for a story? Well, according to this video, Willie beats everybody, so it's like his own personal ATM. So he obviously knows what he's doing. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give Betty White credit for for that as well too. Um, I think in the history of poker, the host 
with the exception of the Annie Up home game. The host was always the best player, right? <laughs> and they, hey, come on, guys, come on over Friday night and play. And they're the ones that usually win, right? So I think that's that's probably a safe assumption. Yeah, Obviously. I think Willie's got some country cush there that he has, you know, just sparked up for the players that, you know, they come in and take it, and then they just they play poker so horribly because of whatever he's given them, you know, is making them see, like, cards that they don't really have <laughs> and, then he's, and then he's not partaking and, and then he wins all these games you know oh I, i'm pretty sure he's partaking but <laughs> <laughs> but he's used to it. he's got a tolerance for it you know? oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what i like about this uh is that you know i i'm not completely starstruck but i will admit to being starstruck with celebrities for the most part and if it's a celebrity that i know and have some knowledge of uh, i kind of like these kind of stories because it, it makes them more real, you know, cause you, you see them like on the Oscars or the Grammys or on TV or wherever, or, you know, on some kind of TV drama where they're playing a character and you don't get the sense of who they are. So this just reminds me that we all kind of are the same in a different way. Right. Yeah, so yeah. no one's getting stuck 40,000 in the any up home game, but somebody could be getting stuck, you know, a hundred bucks. Right. I could just and, see like not letting you leave my house unless you come up with the dough. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, Scott, you owe us 130 bucks. Or you can't leave. Where is it? That's the thing. There are no IOUs. It's table stakes in our game. No, no IOUs. Oh, and this game sounded like every other poker game, other than the fact that it was hosted by Willie Nelson and they're playing for a high stakes and all the stars are here. <laughs> other than that, it sounds like every other poker game because yeah. there's a couple things. I mean, one you talk about uh, somebody getting stuck. Um, you see them finishing songs. I mean, obviously you have to be musicians to want to do that. But, you know, you think about the kind of stuff that happens at a poker game. It's not just playing poker. It's people getting together and talking, right, and having a good time. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that someone said, hey, I'm working on a new song here, and then, hey, I'll be, I'll be finish it. That's kind of cool. Um, and then the whole jo- Jack Johnson part I thought was great. You could tell this is this is the guy. He, he was the mark for that night, right? Yeah. He's that guy that just hung out with him backstage at the Grammys or the Country Music Awards or whatever. And I thought about go, hey, I like to play poker. I'm like, okay, great. Come Friday night. All right, I'll be there. And he shows up, and you immediately know he does not know how to play, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you take all his money, and he's just happy to be invited to the party, right? So he just enjoys it, and he's like, oh, man, you know, hey, I just I got, I got my clock cleaned. And, you know. I'm gonna write a song about it. <laughs> and it, isn't, isn't, wasn't he the one? Was he the one that was quoted about saying that they were playing some game that there were rules to it he never even heard of or something, and then he well, won the I, low I think, in a high low game or something? They the got a little hand. confusing on the video. I think what he's saying is they had a name for the the home game. Oh, you know, okay. Like you call it the Annie Up Home Game. They have a name. I don't know, a honky tonk game. <laughs> right, right. Saying. Uh, I think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he was talking about the actual games they play, but he did mention that, that the hand that he lost all his money on was a split pod game, and he got the low side of it, but lost the high side of it or something like that. So so they must play Omaha 8 or Stud 8 or something like that. In there. Wow. And he didn't sound, the way he, he described it, he, he wasn't confident in the term, so... I'm gonna guess it was a guy that watched Jack had watched poker on TV, right, and showed up and like, all right, the game's stud eight. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I haven't played that. Okay, don't worry, we'll, t- we'll teach you. <laughs> we'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the, stri- uh, the stripes of uh, John Candy scene. Yep. <laughs> now, if it were me, 
Uh, Annie updates. Annie Up is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the Texas Poker Championship, a series of four tournaments in four Texas poker clubs in March, May, August, and December to help fund the social club, uh, social card clubs of Texas organization. Each series features day ones at Texas Card House in Austin, Post Oak Poker Club in Houston, and SA Card House in San Antonio, with the final held at one of these three clubs. The first series is March 1st to the 9th. For more details, visit socialcardclubsoftexas.org. I will interject here to say, because I've got so many texts from people that just happen to be in Texas right now, uh, we will not be on site, so I apologize for that. But okay. get out there and play and have fun and win it win it for the Annie Up uh, fan base. All right. Also, join the Annie Up fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Annie Up fans. If you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Antioch in your home area, apply at antiochmagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have an immediate opening in Michigan. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiochmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we'll send them something cool. Comes from Vic G. I'm glad Vic G's around. We stole this off the Antioch fans page, too. That's right. Came off that page. He said, I guess one benefit of the latest player-backed table games in Florida poker rooms is that someone can hit a $1,500 Royal Flush at three-card poker, then dust off 500 bucks after giving poker a try. I picked up ace-ace against such a player and bet it the whole way. He calls the river with king-seven off, no pair and no draw. Maybe I can grow to appreciate the carnival games place in Florida card rooms. And this this he this could also be translated to anything, like even exactly. with Vegas or anywhere else there's actual real gambling and, and poker rooms in the same facility, so Yeah, and I thought that's why it was important to put on here. I mean, if you're not in Florida you don't really know the dynamic that Vic is talking about, but um our our card clubs outside of the Seminole casinos can't deal anything but poker. Unless it's a player back, so that's why now we have three card poker and war and some other crazy Ult- stuff. Ultimate hold'em. Ultimate hold'em, right? Right. Um, and it's not like you play in a casino, but there's a player that banks it, so you're still getting payouts that kind of way. But um, and that's relatively new. It's been around for two or three years now. But um, but yeah, people seem to complain about these things. Um, and you're right, just in the casinos too, they, they complain about offerings and then dries up the game makes the games harder and i'm sure that was an experience for everyday folk uh florida poker players like vic is that once these games are offered all of a sudden all the easy fish left because that was always what i told people before about when our limits finally got appropriate here um why the games were so juicy was because florida didn't have any other options for gamblers so if you're a gambler of any kind you had to play poker you know unless you wanted to bet on horses or dogs right right so that meant that you had a lot of players that aren't as skilled playing poker. As soon as they get another option, though, then they're going to go to that, right? Um, so on balance, the games probably are harder now because you have people hanging out at the three-card poker table all day instead of the actual poker table. But, um, but yeah, it, it's it's the whole mindset of a casino design is that to separate a player from their money any way you can. So... You know, they hit a big hand somewhere, and there's an easy road to the door, and they'll take that money with them. But if they look around and go, oh, hey, let's try this hold them. I got some money now. They're going to sit down, and you probably are going to get their money. So 
to that extent, you should be happy about. And this is exactly what online poker used to provide before Black Friday. You know, you had people on there with some money to burn. They saw poker on TV everywhere and wanted to give it a try. So, you know, they went online for the anonymity and lost a bunch of cash and let me pay off my house. You know, and now, you know, now that's pretty much dried up. There's still a bunch of sites, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not on TV as much anymore because of what happened with Black Friday. And But this is kind of the same vein. You know, now they've got a different way to spend their money in a Florida card room or, or you know, any other kind of casino. And then they, when they win the money, they're like, hey, now I'm going to try to give poker a try because I got some extra cash on me. You know, I won this big jackpot or whatever it is. And same thing with, you know, with online. It was just there was this outlet to give them something to do with their money. And now, you know, now that's gone for the most part. There's a lot of poker rooms that are still out there, obviously, America's Card Room and um, and the like. But it's just, wow, you know. I, I, I The thing about it is I remember when um, – Back in the old old days of Florida poker, when it was like basically like you said, twenty five cent, fifty cent, or whatever it was, and terrible one two whatever one. What was it? What was the two dollar right straight two dollar? Yeah, uh, I went to the Seminole uh, Hard Rock. It wasn't the Hard Rock then? It was just a Seminole Gaming or whatever. Back in Tampa, back in the old days when I first moved here, and I looked through the glass doors and there was a poker game in there, and I'm just like, wow, I just want a bunch of money and slots or whatever it was I was playing. Uh, I, I love poker, but I, I never had played live like that. And I wanted to go in and sit on the game, but then I thought, you know, I was with people, and I'd be like, I'm the only one there. and So I didn't leave them. But it di- I did have that urge with the money I won to go in that room and play. And it looked like they were playing stud, believe it or not, which is remarkable when you think about it now. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's that's the feeling I had was, oh, wow, I really want to take this money and go in there and, and play poker. I love playing cards growing up, and and I didn't just because of the other people with me. But they weren't with me. I would have gone and played. So that, it, that just goes to show you that that's exactly the urge a lot of people have is when they win a bunch of money, they want to try other things with it because it's free roll. They're free rolling, you know. Um, so I don't have a problem with the games. Not not because of that, but I mean, you know what? People should be able to do as much as they want with their money wherever they want. And maybe sometimes we'll get some sort of windfall like Vic did this time. So I'm fine with it. Well, and the other argument we've all, I've always made too is that these games bring people into the card room that weren't there before, right? right so right. you know they're like, hey, I don't want to play poker. I'm not going to play poker. But oh, hey, they got three card poker now. Yeah, I play that in Vegas. I can like that. Now that particular person isn't going to help you, it unless it's in this case that Vic is talking about. But it could be a spouse, right? Or spouse exactly that, that brings somebody in, and now where he doesn't have to like. He or she doesn't have to negotiate with the spouse to be able to play poker for three hours a night now because they can be hanging out at a three-card poker table and having fun while he or she is playing at the actual play. And so that brings more people in. So, you know, there's there's yin and yang to everything. So yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, we're going to find out what O'Malley's move is. So here comes part one. We'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're still playing that 25-cent, 50-cent PLO8 game, and we're sitting with right around $200. It's getting late in the night, and we've gained a couple of players. We're at an eight-handed table. The blinds post, the under the gun raises to 150. This is the player from last week who is a converted Hold'em player and overvalues his hands. He's gone bust, rebought, and almost tripled up. He sits with around 300. An MP calls. He is a tight aggressive player who is a little on the tighter side of things. He has both of us covered with around 400. We're all pretty deep. 
We're on the button with around 200, a $100 profit, and look down at the Ace of Hearts, Queen of Diamonds, Four of Clubs, Deuce of Hearts. This is a good hand, but not one I'm going to go crazy with. We also call. Everyone else folds. There's 525 in the pot, and we like what we see on the flop. The Queen of Hearts, Five of Diamonds, Tray of Hearts comes down. This is a gorgeous flop, and we're even more happy when the end of the gun bets $3 into the pot. The MP thinks for a short time before calling. Since that makes the pot 1125, and we can factor our call into the size of the pot in this game, we make it $12 to go. Both players call, which is a little surprising. The MP must have something here. With 4125 in the pot, the turn gets even better. The four of diamonds hits the board. The under the gun quickly bets $25, and the MP makes a near pot-sized raise to $90. Gulp? So, it's to us. We've invested $1,350 of our $200 stack on this hand. We do have a wheel, with a redraw to the nut flush or a boat. What's the move? All right, we have only one move here, call. Uh, I'm not <laughs> holding a made nut low that can't disappear. Uh, we have a high that can improve. And we can't raise because we don't have the nut high, especially since the most aggressive player on the street has been described as tight aggressive. It's possible the under the gun will raise and it'll end up all in before we see the river, but uh, I'm not going to be the one to instigate that. Yeah, I think I'm saying the same thing you are here. I, I assume we get court, we we might get quartered, so I agree with the call. And if it gets raised, I think I'm still calling because I got the nut low. I'm never letting go of this hand, but I suppose raising earlier is a mistake here. So hopefully we flush up, you know, and, and that's it. But uh, I think I, I'm with you. I call. Here comes part two. Hello again. This is a tough spot for me, especially since my PL08 game is a little rusty. I think I made a mistake here. We have around 185 left in our stack, so this bet represents nearly half of our remaining chips. There's a possibility we're getting quartered for the low, but all our draws to the high kind of clouded my judgment we shove. The under the gun and MP both snap call, and we see we're not in horrible shape. The under the gun turns over the ace of spades, king of hearts, king of diamonds, deuce of spades, and the MP turns over the ace of diamonds, tray of diamonds, deuce of diamonds, deuce of clubs. I ran the numbers later and determined we were about a 31% favorite to win the high here, and about a 53% favorite to tie for the high. After the dealer sorted the pots out, which he did a fantastic job, being that this is a home game, he burns and turns. Seems like it takes forever for the card to peel off and hit the felt, but we see the bad news when the Ten of Diamonds gives the MP a nut-nut hand. So the final tally? We end up losing half of our stack on this one and come away with $100. The MP is the big winner with 550 and now sitting with 650 and the under the gun is the big loser, leaving 150 behind and sitting with 150 after the hand. Could this have been avoided? Should we have seen this coming? Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying this illustrates just how frustrating PLO8 can be. I thought I was a lock for at least half of this pot, and I ended up getting quartered. I hope to see you on the felt. All right, it's a bit crazy to see three ace deuces out in one <laughs> hand. That happens, though. Uh, but we shouldn't allow that to cloud our judgment in the future. I mean, had we called, as, as uh, you and I suggested, it's possible we might have been able to fold on the river and save some money, but no guarantee of that either. Um, um, and the other thing I guess I'll say now is back to what I was saying. There, there's a couple differences here with um, just having a nut low. We had a nut low that couldn't be taken away from us. 
Right, right? right. They had the wheel. There's no cards that could come that would not give us the net low. Now, um, that doesn't mean we're not getting quartered or eighth or all this other kind of stuff, but um, it's different when you have a nut low that can be compromised. Um, and then the other side of it, that was we had a high hand that could improve. So those two things are what, what that really contributed to um, my love for this hand. But if we had a high that couldn't get any higher and it wasn't a nut and we had a nut low that could easily get compromised, then it's a completely different story in my mind. Well, you know, sometimes you're just put in a tough spot, and sometimes that tough spot is compounded by the rare event of everyone having ace-deuce, um, and all you can do basically is just shrug there, you know. I mean, the, the way this hand played out, you were you were going to call no matter what happened. It's just too bad you couldn't save some money. And on the river, yeah, like you were saying, if we had just called, maybe you get away from it, but you have the nut low. It's like, Ugh. Well, it depends on how the betting goes, and this right. is what I think is important here. I mean, this is why I think O'Malley did mention that his, his 08 game is a little rusty, and, and I think that showed in his shove here. This is not a shoving situation, I don't think. But, so, yeah, if we call now on the river – you know, some people, new players to o- Omaha Eight are never giving away, and never folding a nut low, right? Um, and what you have to realize is that if you get quartered or aced or that sounds that you're going to lose money, even though you're going to get money back, right? right. So, um, but so you have to understand how the betting is going to go. So again, if you have the nut high, what you're trying to do in that spot when you think there are two nut lows out there is you want to get them in that buzzsaw right so it all depends on the action and the order of the action and what people do so that's why the game is frustrating some people because there are times when you have a nut hand and the right move is not to raise because you need to get a couple more people in knowing you're going to get more money that way and that's a tough thing to understand at the same time when you have this nut low and you and you're confident you don't have the high now you got to watch how the betting is going to go because if it gets raised, raised, re-raised, re-raised again, now you can feel confident that you're getting quartered. And now that means even if you put more money in, you may actually lose that money. Um, you may not. I mean, it depends on how the action went the whole rest of the hand. So you got to do a lot of math there. But um, it's possible that you could call three bets on the river and that money – does not come back to you. <laughs> I think the term is whipsawed, not buzzsawed. Yeah, well, some kind of saw. Hacksaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, it's time with advancedpokertraining.com and of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from this, the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And a uh, new listener, Michael Holyoke, is in the house this week, Chris. And, um... I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to say we're either going to win this hand, we're going to lose this hand, or we're going to tie this hand. <laughs> Heard that from a very sage poker strategist last week, and I'm using it in all my conversations. It's so funny when I see people post stuff like that about us, uh, and, and when, when they say specifically it's me, I always think you said it. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't say that. Scott was the one who said win, lose, or draw, and I'm the one that was like, yeah, yeah I pointed that out to you. It was so obvious what was going to happen. But yeah, somehow they think I say it. It, it couldn't be me because all the words made sense together. It's just a phrase <laughs> that didn't make any sense. And so. they were pronounced correctly. So Yeah, if the words didn't make any sense together, then uh, it's definitely not. That's me. That's all. <laughs> all right. Uh, so anyway, Mike says, I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago and haven't stopped listening to it since. 
You guys are always entertaining and informative. I work the night shift as a police officer in Arizona, and when I'm not busy, I've been spending my time listening to you. Love to hand a week's submissions. You guys are very self-deprecating. Really? No. <laughs> uh, he says, which is funny, but uh, you know, obviously you both know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, no. It's not self-deprecating. It's uh, factual <laughs> crap is what it is. Actual deprecating. That's right. Actual deprecating. Uh, I'm looking forward to Spring Poker Classic at Viquiva. And he says, yes, it's pronounced Viquiva uh, coming up in March, and I hope to do well. So, hey, Mike, well, looking forward to seeing you out there. So. Excellent. Uh, I was playing recently in a Hold'em tournament at a local casino. The tournament was just getting started. We were only on hand five or six, I believe. Starting stacks are 5,000, and no one was far off that number yet. The biggest stack was around 6,400, and the short stack was around 3,400. I'd yet to be involved in the hand and still have my original starting stack of 5,000. Blinds are still 25 and 50. Table's nine-handed. He says, I'm not familiar with any of these players, and the game hasn't been going long enough for me to get a real good feel for anyone. In my experience, with this casino at least, I find that at the beginning of tournaments, people play a little tight, and sometimes it's easy to build up your stack by trying to steal pots. I'm under the gun with Ace of Spades, Eight of Clubs. Uh, fold. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, I know you're a police officer and you like to live dangerously, uh, but this is not one of the times you should be doing that. Uh, under the gun limping with Ace 8, what are you hoping to ha have happen here? Uh, really, uh, and the other thing too is if, you know, this, this is a hand that, you know, you just don't, you just don't want to play, you know, if, I don't know how you want to play, if you're going to limp or if you're going to raise with it, but this is a hand you just want to have hit the muck faster than a bullet coming out of your sidearm. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, this, this is more top cliches than getting this. Yeah, game. I know this, uh, this hand is, is, you know, dead man's hand for a reason. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get what he's saying is that people play a little tight early on and you can build up your stack by stealing pots, but you got to put yourself in the right situation to be able to do that. And, uh, even, um, any way you get in here, whether you, you limp or raise, as you mentioned with this hand, it's going to make it difficult for us to steal going forward, I think. So it's an easy fold. And, um, you know, you've got, uh, again, you, you don't have any, you know, you said already, I'm not familiar with these players. I don't know what, how people play. That's when you don't want to play um, suspect hands. You know, when you have a good control and good command of who's at your game and what you can do with them, then you can really open up because uh, now you're playing the person rather than the cards, right? Yeah. Now, this early with this kind of information, you've got to play the cards. And these are not cards I want to play. Yep. Let them go. All right. Of course, uh, that wouldn't be a hand of the week if he did that. So he, he uh, limps in. Um, uh, the next four players fold, uh, cut off calls, and the button small blind fold, and the big blind checks. All right. So the three of us. Okay. Uh, going to the flop, which is the eight of spades, nine of clubs, eight of hearts. Uh, small blind checks, and it is. Let me make sure the order here. So we have the um, oh, big blind, big blinds in. We're under the gun and cut off. So it's the big blind, the big, big blind, blind checks, and it's on us. Okay. Well, this is interesting because yes, we've hit our trip eights, and it looks like we're a genius. Uh, the problem is that if you, if they have nothing, you're not going to get anything out of this. If you check, you're giving a free card to someone who might have jack 10 right. you know so you're in a you're in a tough spot here which could have been avoided by folding preflop uh but <laughs> uh i feel like i need to bet 
And then if I just win, I'd just be happy with, hey, I got lucky to hit trip eights. I shouldn't have played that hand on position as it was. If they all fold and I take down their limping blinds, it's early on in the tournament. It's only the fifth or sixth hand. So that's fine. Now you've got a little more information, too. You'll see that others are willing to limp from any position. You know, a cutoff guy was willing to limp um, behind when we limped. You know what I mean? So you're finding out some info anyway. So I really don't like a check here. It's not like you were facing a raise and you hit and you want to check raise to someone who's going to, you know, is going to bet because they took control of the hand preflop. In this situation, I think you're just going to want to bet. I I don't want to just check because I feel like if I just check and Jack 10 gets there, I'm going to lose a big pot with a hand I shouldn't have been playing. Uh, never go broke in an unraised pot, uh, Doyle Brunson. So... Seriously, I, I think that we got lucky, or we don't know the whole hand, so it could be unlucky. Um, but in this case, I'm, I tend to want to bet. And, you know, you could be up against 9-8, too. You don't even know right now. And if you check, you're not going to, you know, you know, you don't know what kind of hands you're up against. If you bet and somebody does something huge on you, you won't get away from it because you have the top kicker with trip eights. So you don't, unless they have very specifically 9-8, you know, or 9-9. Nine, nine. Yeah. Um, or eight eight. Or no no, no, no or my nine nine. But uh, you know, other than that, I just don't see you getting away from this hand now. Um, so you might as well get value for it because if, if you check and somebody catches up to you, if you don't boat up, you know, what I mean, you're screwed. So you might as well put some money in the middle. I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, they limp, so I don't even know what the blinds. What were the blinds? Oh, twenty five fifty, right? Yeah. So. So I don't know. So there's like 150 in the pot or so. Yeah. And, much at all. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. So I don't know. Bet. Well, I think the other reason I want to bet here is that this is not a hand that hits under the gun hands, right? Right. So the fact that we limped in with a subpar hand and then actually hit it, our hand is disguised a little bit. So I think a bet here is going to look like we're stealing, um, or at least make people be suspect of it, and we might be able to squeeze more value out of it because of that so uh but i'm with you if we bet and we win the 150 bucks that's great you know we shouldn't have been this hand anyhow um if we get cute with this hand uh we have the potential of losing our entire stack um and that's not good it's really so um I, I'm, I'm gonna bet you know it's i don't know this at this point it's like i make a pot size bet because it's nothing really yeah 150 125 whatever and see what happens here, but uh, I'm not going to give a free card to somebody to make yeah. this hand difficult for me. Right. All right. It checks around. Ugh. Um, and the turn is the ace of clubs. So our board now is eight of spades, nine of clubs, eight of hearts, ace of clubs, and of course we just boat it up. But before we get a chance to even think about what's going on, the big blind bets ninety. <laughs> oh well, now I guess you just call because you. You're assuming you've got the best hand here. Um, there's still a hand or two that beat you. Um, but it, in this situation, you still got the guy behind you who's in the hand, so you might as well call and see if he comes along or even raises. Um, I don't like raising here because the big blind could be trying to steal it with a random ace or you know just anything random nine, and then you know goes away. So I like, I like a call here for at least one more street. Now you've got at least one person to act behind you you'll have at least one person to act on the next street so it's not like you're going to lose value at some point you're going to be able to to bet so let's call and see what happens yeah i'm trying to think i, I think you're right here um it, it, the interesting thing here is it's hard if we're up against a nine nine this card didn't change anything for us it just made it harder for us to get away from it right right 
Um, if we were up against a king eight or some other kind of random eight, then this is a great card for us, right? And we don't have anything to worry about. Um, and I don't want to get too scared about those monsters on the bed, but you know, whatever the card comes on the river, if we're up against a pocket pair, that's going to be bad for us. But no one raised preflop, right? So I'm not really worried about pocket pairs either. So I guess I shouldn't even be too worried about pocket nines. So if you think about it that way, then then we have the best hand here, and probably are not going to have anybody catch up to us. So this goes back to my Omaha training now is push or pull, right? So now I want to pull people into the spot. And if I want to pull people in the spot, I'm going to call here and see what happens rather than raise and push everybody out. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to call. And that's what our hero does. And the cutoff raises to 850. Wow. Big blind calls as well. well I'm just calling again. I mean, here's the thing. Does the guy have ace nine? And he just, you know, made a better two pair, and he thinks that, or does he have a random eight, and now he's coming alive, or does he have pocket nines, and he limped with pocket nines because most people would do that, trying to hit a set, um, and now he's just been slow playing it the whole time. So the only hand really now we're worried about that guy having is nine nine, right? And I don't think, I don't think I'm good enough to get away from ace eight here. I really don't. No, if in a tournament like this, I'm going to get I, away from I will admit I'm not. I think I'm good enough not to raise again here, though. Yeah, I think I'm just going to call. Good enough just to, like, passively finish his hand and, and hope that I break into what's going to be a really nice pot now and not get knocked out, if that's the case. Right. So, But, yeah, I, it's going to be really tough for me to fold this down. i got to put somebody on that one hand. And you're right, you might have limped. Um I mean, if I'm in the big blind of pocket nines, I'm not raising there. I'm just going to call and hope I set mine so it's possible. And, but it's a cutoff raising now, too. I mean, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could limp there as well with nines. But, but now we're getting really specific, though. So I mean, here's the deal. is We like, as a, on the whole, we like to so raise when we're the first one entering the pot with a pair like this. Right, right. But when someone already limped under the gun, which is fishy, right, some yep. people might think you have aces, but then yep. you might have ace-king or something. But if you had aces, then he wouldn't be raising here to 850 because he would have aces full of eights. So um, he's not afraid of that. But uh, but initially he was thinking, all right, I may just want to hit a set here. I have pocket nines. I don't want to get too crazy. There's another gun player in here. you know. Um, but now he's raising hoping you have ace-king, and that's why the big blunt but out, he's hoping you have an eight, and if he has nine nine, so there, this guy could have nine nine. Uh, I don't want to go broke if I don't have to, so I might as well just call. Yeah, and the other weird thing is this is such a massive raise, right? Yeah, it's almost ten x. Yeah, it's like ten x almost. Um, and so if you've got nines over eights here, are you making that that big of a raise? I can see a decent raise because no one's put you on those on those nines now, but that's. This guy, the cutoff's only going to get somebody to call if they have a real hand here, right? So it's clear somebody has an eight, though. That's the thing. He, he's obviously if he well, has nine nine, he's positive. Say, someone has an the eight. Cutoff is really screaming to me a worse eight than we have with this bet. I think, but you know, I could be wrong. Now the big blind ninety chips. That's that's a little less than the pot. That's a normal bet you would take for anything. So I really don't know what he has. I'd be shocked if the cutoff shows pocket nines here. So. But all that being said, it's early. We're in the first level, it sounds like. We still have our starting stack of 5,000. 
call the 850 here. It's going to be a decent bet on the river, but it, hopefully it won't be our rest of our stack. And if that's the case, whatever we have left over, we're, we're still in decent shape to recover from a cooler, if that's the case. Yeah. And if we're wrong and we have the best hand, that's still going to be a significant pot. I, I, I'm just, I'm not going to dismiss the risk of a 9-9 here and go crazy and, and re-raise all in. I'm going to be happy with the, the way this is going and know that I'm going to either have a big pot here or I'm still going to be alive in this tournament with enough chips to, to make something happen. It really feels like somebody has 9-9 nine, nine now and somebody has the other 8. It really feels like that. I, the problem is I don't know which one is which now. I, I I was thinking the cutoff big raise there wouldn't be a worse 8 because he's convinced the other guys have an 8 and he's got the best of it and he's got 9-9. Nine, nine. But I could be wrong. It could be the other way around. Yeah, if you're the cutoff, I, can, I don't think you can be convinced what anybody has here. It was a 90-unit bet and a call after it checked all around. It could be anything, you know? I mean... We're looking at it because we know we have the eights now, but I'm like, how many times is there a paired board and everybody checks because they don't have They're anything, it, and then yeah. the next one, all right, I'll be the first one to bet, and maybe I'll take it down, which usually happens, right? So the big blind could be on absolutely nothing here, saying, hey, I'll be the one that bets and tries to take this down, and then we called, so now it's back to us in the cutoff. I, that doesn't really help me to find those two hands, so... Mm. Cutoff has to have something or feels like this is a big enough bet that he's just going to blow us off and, and win 300. <laughs> betting 850 to win 300. Yeah. It could be that he's convinced someone has an ace and someone has an eight and he has nine, nine or nine, eight. He says, well, we could still be ahead here. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we could be behind, too. I, it's, this is another one of my obvious I, I think we're going to know... <laughs> Uh, um, all right, so what I said, cutoff raise 850, I didn't say what the big blind did yet, right? No. So the big blind is going to be what really defines, is going to help us define this hand, right? So if the big blind's sitting on nines full, that's going to be a raise, I would think, right? Yeah. It just, somebody's going to fire 850 into me, and I got second nut. Actually, that person wouldn't know it'd be second nut, it'd be third nut, because somebody else could have pocket eights, because he doesn't know we have an eight. But um, I, I think the big blind would, would raise there. Big blind could fold easily if he was just doing what I mentioned, you know, taking a stab at it and hoping he wins it. I think no matter what, I'm calling. I don't, no matter what happens here, I'm calling. So if the cutoff is bet to 850, gets just called by the big blind, I'm calling. If the big blind shoves, I think I'm still calling. I, I can't get away. So no matter what I do, I don't think it's going to be another raise. I think I'm just going to keep calling no matter what happens. Right. But I'm not going to be the one that raises <laughs> Right, exactly. Out of, all right. So the big blind does call. And we call as well. Okay. I agree with that. River is the four of diamonds, so the final board is eight of spades, nine of clubs, eight of hearts, ace of clubs, four of diamonds, and the big blind checks now. Yeah, I'll check. I mean, I feel like this guy who bet 850 is going to bet again because that's a blank. So if he wanted to bet a bunch of money last street, he's going to want to bet a bunch of money this street again. unless Because no one, no one goes 10x to steal a $300 pot or 300 unit pot. When you don't right. bet three times a pot to steal that pot. That's just ridiculous. So he's going to bet again. So you might as well check to him. Yeah, and we'll see how much he's going to bet now. I mean, by by betting, we inflate it. So I don't. It goes back to the. I, I believe we have the best hand, but I also believe that nine nine is possible here. So I'd rather not go broke here. So I would rather, you know, whatever he's going to bet here. Hopefully, he bets enough to keep me in the game if I'm wrong. So yeah. If I bet here, then now I'm escalating it, and I just don't feel comfortable escalating it. So, 
All right. Uh, our hero says, uh, feeling like I had the best hand. I check, hoping to cut off bets again. Hmm. Um, if I had the best hand, I'd be betting here, but... I, but all right. Uh, well, no, but no, no. Wait, hold on. No, because we we were convinced this guy's gonna bet again. So if he bets again, then you get the big blind guy calling again with a random eight. You know what I mean? You're gonna get more money out of it. If you bet now, then the other guy raises and might get the big blind out. So I'm not gonna bet. We're gonna we're gonna check again because we knew this guy's gonna bet again. He bet yeah. a ton last street. Yeah, but I'm not checking with feeling like I have the best hand. But I got you. I, I you know what I mean? You right. have even if you have the best hand, you know this guy's gonna bet. You want to check to him. All right. Our hero says, I get my wish, and the cutoff goes all in for his remaining stack of 2500 And I'm surprised to see that the big blind goes all in over the top of him with his remaining stack of 4500 which puts me all in if I call. Yeah, I'm calling. Because what I'm hoping for now is the guy with the bigger stack has the worst hand. And at least I win a side pot, and I'm still alive. But I'm hoping I have it all. There's no way I'm folding this now. There's way too much money out there. You have yeah, eights full of aces. So yeah. one way or the other, I'm getting money back if, if the worst hand has more money than me. And if not, then, hey, that's the, that's the definition of a cooler. You have eights full of aces. Someone has nines full of eights, and the other guy has the eight. The other case eight. I mean, it's a cooler. So you just you have to take your lumps. You know, this is a hand I'm not getting rid of, especially with all the money that's in there and how much I have left. Yeah, I think this was interesting about acting in the moment because my first thought here was this proves that I'm I, I don't have the best hand. I mean, I, I can't imagine two hands being turned over that aren't it, uh, that are both worse than what we have. Right. But you made a point about we got to figure out who has who has the who worst has hand of us. <laughs> so the cutoff that has the nines. <clears throat> now we've just picked up an extra two thousand from the big blind, but we still have to call. Well, what if somebody has ace nine and they're just not a real good player? All right, but we'll back up here. We got to think about this. So yeah, we could we'd get money back from the big blind if we're right on that. Right. But we're still putting forty five hundred in, and we get two thousand of it back. Plus the big blind started with fifty four. Yeah, but all that's going to the the only thing the only thing that's going to be excess is going to be the two thousand on top. Everything else goes to the main pot. So if we think the cutoff is the one that has us beat. And we have to call forty five hundred here. We'll, get, we'll have we'll end with twenty four hundred if we're if we're wrong. And the the guy who has the fifty four hundred stack, the guy with the fifty four hundred stack is the second third worst hand. We'll get twenty four hundred dollars when it's all twenty four hundred units, whatever. When it's all said and done, so we'll lose, we'll lose half our stack on this, basically. Right. Uh, no, thir- well thirty four hundred. We'll lose thirty four hundred, but we'll gain four hundred. So we'll lose three grand on this. So we'll have about two grand left, something like that. Because you said the the cutoff I wrote here. Cutoff has thirty four hundred. Well, no, the cutoff goes all in for this remaining stack of twenty five hundred now. Right. So he'd have. He, but he went out into the hand with thirty four. We went in the hand with five. Five goes all the top with forty five hundred, <laughs> but puts us all in though. So yeah, we're not getting that full two thousand back. No, we'll we'll get two thousand at the end of the hand if if everyone shoved, and okay. we had the second best hand. And the guy who has the best hand is the smaller of the stacks. We'll have two grand when it's all over, because we started with five. The guy who had the worst hand has fifty-four, and the guy who has the best has thirty-four. So the most you could lose to that guy is thirty-four hundred, which means you'd get sixteen hundred back. And then the other guy, if you beat him, you'd get his four hundred, because he would lose. 
But it all depends on the big blind having the worst hand of it. I know you'd get no, you'd get that's right. You'd get if the guy had fifty four hundred, right? You would get the difference between there. So that's two thousand. So yeah, you'd get two thousand. Yeah, then you make it more complicated. I mean, there's two thousand on top. Yeah, full two thousand. You get so. you get two thousand. So yeah, you'd have about two thousand back from that. So because the fifty four hundred has two thousand more than the other stack. Yeah. So that two thousand you're playing for, but you only have six. Yeah. So you get sixteen hundred. So yeah. So we still have enough to play, which is what I mentioned on the yeah. turn. Right? Sixteen hundred I mean, at twenty five fifty blinds is plenty. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> now, but if the big blind has the pocket is the one where the pocket nine, so we're out. But right. We're just thinking, again, we think it's the other way around though. So yeah, it, it seems like it's the other way. Around. Either way, I'm not folding. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Somebody called the clock on us like an hour ago. <laughs> Uh, um, Alright, uh, our hero says Initially when the flop came out I considered the possibility One of them could have pocket nines I had seen the player in the big blind play a medium pocket pair A couple hands earlier and he bet pre-flop with it It's obviously worth noting however That he was in a much better position at the time Given this information I did not believe After the flop that he had nines in the hole After his river bet I began to reevaluate this I played the, played the hand over my head And still came to the conclusion that if he had pocket nines He would have raised pre-flopped Pre-flop yeah, I'm not so yeah, sure. I'm about not that. so sure about that, and, uh, especially because you limped out of the gun. Yeah, yeah, I think he was happy to set mine. So if that's what he did, he boy did he. He set he hit, hit, hit gold there. Yeah, he hit gold. All right, our hero calls. Cutoff shows eight of diamonds, king of spades for three eights. Yep. Big blind. We're table, still alive. Pocket nines. Oh yeah. Nines or eights. Uh, he says, "I cannot tell you how this point I was in the way I read that hand. I uh, had in my head that he." He could have nines, but just couldn't pull the trigger on uh, the fold. So we're out. I thought I was thinking the cutoff was the when you were reading it. I was thinking that because it didn't make sense. You said he called you all in. The cutoff showed. I'm thinking I thought it was the big blind because you got to show in the order that you. Yeah, yeah. I, should, so yeah. I was thinking the big. I thought we were still alive, but no, the cutoff showed. So we're we're out. Wow, the big blind had nines. Oh, gross. <laughs> but again, it goes back to the beginning. It was a hand that we should not have been in to begin with. Right, so, fold that hand. Yeah, but uh, but all that being said, that that is a tough beat. Um, but I think the one the one flaw in the analysis is that assuming that he he couldn't have nines because he didn't raise pre flop. Yeah, I, I think most players are not going to raise in that spot with pocket nines. Right. So that if that's the reason you thought he didn't have pocket nines, that that's something to work on. Um, the rest of the hand was really tough to really figure out where he was, though, at that point. Well, the good news is, uh, Michael, you can now put Ace-8 into the uh, poker training, uh, <laughs> advanced <laughs> poker training, the combat trainer, I think it is, and uh, and put it under the gun and see how many times it folds for you. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, actually, that's really interesting. That's a great way of you uh, know. really proving and not just taking our word for it, but... Um, Getting some hard stats on what a bad spot you put yourself in by limping with Ace Eight there. Ace Eight off two on top of it. So yeah. But uh, thank you for your service and uh, <laughs> and thanks for the hand of the week. So we appreciate it. I'm Chris Casenza and I'm Scott Log. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.